Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Welcome to the Running Light Ministries Podcast, what we call the Better Pleasure Podcast. My name's Bo, and that is Peter Martin over there. And he is chomping on a little bit of nourishment, but he'll be with us soon enough. Uh, today's episode of the Better Pleasure Podcast um, we could talk about many things. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had some good conversations lately. We were talking a little bit about Dennis Prager and his uh, um, kind of video uh, talking to a, a conservative about pornography. Yeah, Matt Frad. He has the uh, YouTube channel Pints with Aquinas. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so um, I never heard of him. Yeah, he's a Catholic guy, Catholic okay. conservative guy, Yeah, uh, really bright more like philosophically inclined yeah and so yeah he sat down with dennis because uh dennis has been doing this series on the daily wire with jordan peterson and a bunch of other scholars on the book of exodus and in one of the sections he's kind of giving the difference as he sees it between pharisaical judaism which he sees as a good thing right (laughs) and you have to get you have to get around that when you're listening to an orthodox jew speak uh because when we say pharisee we use it as like an insult in Judaism, they see the Pharisees as the good guys. So in Pharisaical Jewish Judaism, he's saying that it's more of a behaviorist type of a religion, meaning that it focuses on what you do, not necessarily what's going on in your heart and in your mind. Now, there's some overlap there, because obviously what you do with your body works its way into your mind, but one of the main criticisms that Jesus had of the Pharisees is that they fixated so much on the body that they didn't focus on the mind at all. And Dennis really expresses that in his talk on Exodus, because he's talking about uh, viewing pornography. And he says, you can't, in Judaism, you can't commit adultery in the mind. You can only do it with your body. Uh, And this is clearly what Jesus is contradicting in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you have committed adultery with her. He's saying that, no, 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 like, if you have or commit to lusting after a woman, even if it doesn't ever extend to your bodily action, you have done something that's sinful. And so he's sitting down with Matt Frad, and Matt Frad's pushing him on that, and he's saying, well, okay, are you uh, saying that if you view pornography, you haven't done anything wrong? And Dennis speaks in a very interesting way, because obviously once you view pornography, you are doing something with your body. You're here, you're viewing something with your eyes, you're taking it in. And essentially what he gets at, and me and you talk about this a little bit, is that there are grades of wrong. So while we would look at it and we would say, yes, that is sin, because you're missing the mark, the ideal of God's plan for our sexuality, which would be that we engage with sexual, uh, sexual desires in the confines of marriage with one partner, and it's for the purpose of the glor- glorification of God in the sexual act. That's the ideal. Nobody actually lives out the ideal. It's impossible to live it out. And so there are kind of gradations of wrong that we have to deal with on a regular basis. Yeah, and I think, uh, and this is a great topic. We haven't talked about it in a while Hmm. in in more detail, but we have in our podcasts. Right. You followed us, um, if you're really into us, (laughs) (laughs) really into these topics. Um, But uh, I think of like one that, that, the way I could put this to make it really clear that uh, this is true, 
um, that someone might say, well, no, you're compromising Christianity and the morals of Christianity by saying this, you know, that there's this like spectrum of wrong. Right. You know, but I'll just like help you understand how this works. Like you sexually, that is. And that is how many people have sex in a marriage? Mm. Mm, a lot. Right. Okay. Well, if we were to grade your sex life. Yeah. And we were to say, okay, there's a there's a good and there's a better mm-hmm. and there's a best. Right. And if we looked at the negative part of the spectrum, we could say there's a you know, bad, there's a worse. Right. And there's a worst. <laughs> there's a worst. <laughs> you know? Um, you know, we would be able to if we had enough time mm-hmm. to get with you and your wonderful beloved. Yeah. And we said, let's just be really honest here. And we just talk about it. Um, we would find that there's some maybe not so good things. Maybe there's some selfishness there. Maybe there's been some things that haven't been done right. Maybe um, uh, we find um, little variances of really achieving, in a sense, perfection hmm. when it comes to our sexual conduct. Right. Um, even in our marriage bed. Right. Um, and 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 let me even say it this way: like some some Christians think that when they get into the marriage bed and they have sexual intercourse, that they are in a sense f- doing everything the best. Right. That is what's deemed the best. Right. Though many times. A man can be satisfied with having sexual intercourse, but a woman walks away with no really ultimate satisfaction in the intercourse. Right. Um, This has happened. This obviously should be common knowledge to people that many women have really never had an orgasm uh, through sexual intercourse. Right. And, uh, and, not in women this is it's not easy for women to have an orgasm through sexual intercourse meaning it doesn't happen all the time it's not something that's predominantly um experienced Mm. by all women there's many women who've had intercourse their whole life and they've never had an orgasm right and and if i were to talk to the man and say well you know he'd think like oh man i'm i'm my sex life's the best yeah you know, but is it really the best? Yeah. You know, is it really, are you really thinking about your wife's fulfillment in the sexual intimacy that you're having with one another? Yeah, which is really interesting because, you know, in First Peter 3, when he's talking about the roles between men and women, the role of the husband that he gives is he says, husbands dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to them as to the weaker vessel. And, and the word there is really emphatic. What he's talking about is intuitive understanding, that I'm empathizing with my wife and I understand where she's coming from, maybe even non-verbally. So anyone who's been married for any length of time knows that women tend to have a more difficult time articulating themselves verbally. They tend to express themselves behaviorally, right? They, they give looks and they show demeanors and they do actions and that's how they communicate. And men become really frustrated because they want their wives to just tell them 
what's going on internally. But what Peter is saying is your role as a husband is actually to understand her. Now, there's, again, shades of gray here. There are ways that women could be better communicators and ways that men could be better listeners. But there's a reason why women tend to like dancing and men don't. Yeah. Right. When you're dancing, it is. It's that nonverbal communication with the body that you have to pick up on. Sex is like the ultimate expression of that. Right. If I'm in bed with my wife and I'm like, does that feel good? Well, how about this? Well, how about that? You know, like it just zaps all the constantly all the romance is going to go out of the room. And so a lot of men don't ask, but they also don't know how to pick up on body language. And so they never learn their wife. Right. They never learn their wife in that place. And so even though they might have an intention to be loving Mm -hmm. because they're not picking up on it, they're not actually walking in love. So you could say they have intentionality to love. But what does genuine love look like? Love your neighbor as yourself. Right. There, There has to be that empathy present. Otherwise, you're not actually walking in the perfected love of God. Right. So like you said, it could be good, but it's not. The best. The best. It's right. not what God has intended yeah. in that way. Yeah, and in that way, um, you know, you fall short. Mm-hmm. And in that way, you know, is that sin? Yeah, it's a grade of it. Right. It's a grade of sin. And a lot of us don't want to look at that and admit that. Right. You know, for instance, like, you know, your sexual knowledge is important, mm-hmm. you know, in a in a relationship that's intimate. Um you know, how many men know a woman's body parts? How many men know how to um, give their wife pleasure and enjoyment? Um, And these are sensitive topics. Many adults, which I'm not sure why this is the case. Mm. To me, I just, it's a mind blower that this is such a weird subject for people. Um, Because we're humans, it's like, gosh, you go to a zoo Mm. and you see two animals humping each other. That's normal. (laughs) Right. That, you know, you don't go like, oh my God, like, you know, this is crazy. No, Um, you know, you kind of know that animals are going to, you know, at some point mate. And I could also flip that, you know, where a lot of women are taught that, well, sex is just kind of for the husband. So the way you make it pleasurable for him is you just kind of roll over and you just lie down and, and that's it. it. And yeah. then it will be great for him and you just kind of endure it. Where it's like, I don't know of any man who's not a sociopath who wants to be, who is going to experience genuine sexual pleasure with a partner who's not invested in it, right? Who's who's kind of tuned out their brain and yeah. just said, this is kind of, I'm just going to lay back and let you do your thing. Yeah, when you, when you slip uh, someone a Mickey yeah. You know, at a frat party and, you know, you have sex with uh, a, a basically a, a, a dead body. Right. You know, um, we consider that very wrong. Right. You know, we don't look at that and go, that was great. Right. <laughs> you know, that was awesome intimacy. Yeah. No, that's considered very wrong because right. there's no engagement, volitional engagement uh, with both parties. And, you know, it's it's funny because I, I see a lot of men like embarrassed to tell me that they don't like sex with their wife because yeah. there's like this expectation that if your wife is giving you sex, you should just like it, you right. know, and what are you, a, a girl that you're going to complain? And they don't know how to verbalize to their wives like, 
yes, you are being intimate with me, but you're not present. arousing me. You're not oh, arousing oh. me. Well, yeah, both. Like you're not you're not learning my body either. First off, and secondly, you're not really into what we're doing, right? You're and just doing it like for duty. Exactly. It's just an obligation where you just kind of lay back, and and then that goes in kind of a circle where because of that, the man never learns anything he could do better to make the experience much more pleasurable for the wife. And because the man's not doing that, then the experience ends up being really uncomfortable and unsatisfying for the wife. And so then it reinforces the idea of this is just an obligation. Right, which is interesting. I was just reading in the book of Matthew where Jesus leaves the 99 and goes after the one lost sheep. And uh, Pastor John Corson was talking about um, how, how God specifically knows you and especially goes after you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he wants to be intimate with you and that Jesus brings this point home in this in this little story about the, the lost sheep um, and that those are that's everybody mm. and that uh, he would die for you yeah. and you are the lost one and he knows you personally. And he kept focusing in on that, like the indiv- you know, you're an individual and he knows you individually. And, you know, that's how our intimate life should reflect, right. is that we know our spouse, you know, intimately, individually. Right. And um, so, yeah, we, you know, we don't want to have sex out of duty. That would be considered a sin as well. Right. Um, um, and people might go, really? Well, yeah, if you're, if you're just doing it out of duty without joy, yeah. uh, without under the Lord, right. you know, then that would be, you know, even that idea is, you know, would be shocking probably to a lot of people. What? What do you mean having sex under the Lord? Yeah. You know, well, whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Right. It should be under the Lord. It should be, you know, with God's glorification in mind. Right. And so if it's if it's absent from that, then that can't be right. Right. You know, um, so uh, again, it's hard for men to even uh you know get to that place of like where like oh man you know uh you know god i do sin in my sex life it, it's and, and and that's why i i totally think that a lot of men just don't want to go there yeah you know they just don't want to talk about it like how many of them really want to get to know their wives bodies how many of them really want to maybe get a book or yeah. read or even watch an instructional video right. on, you know, like, you know, something about, you know, pleasing their spouse. And a lot of times and, I think spouses even get into trouble because they're trying to, you know, like, so some guys might be like, she's just not into it, you know? Yeah. And so they're like watching porn yeah. to try to figure out like how to please her, how to please my wife, you know, yeah. like she's not into it. I'm trying to, fe- so you know, the question gets asked to me as a counselor of if viewing pornography or uh, lusting after a woman in your heart is uh, the same type of sin, it's in the same category of adultery, could viewing pornography ever justify a divorce? And my answer to them is, well, it depends, right? Because it's not all equal, right? There's a difference between a guy who, say, is viewing pornography and it's heterosexual pornography and there are different factors going on, right? Again, not justifying it, it's still wrong, 
But there are different factors. There's different times where he's viewing it. He's not neglecting his wife. He is seeking to love her and care for her. But he has this area of weakness that he stumbles into. Or, you know, the example that Dennis Prager gave in the interview was, well, what if you're dealing with a guy whose wife is injured in some way? Yeah, hand, and so hand has some kind of disability. Right. And can't have sex right. for the rest of their marriage, yep. you know? And so yeah. it becomes a much more understandable thing where it lowers the kind of moral culpability there. Again, it doesn't make it good, yep. but it lowers that, that grade of sin where there's a big difference between that and let's say a, a guy watching, uh, let's say, child pornography. Like, if yeah. there's someone who's into child pornography, I'd be like, yeah, that's probably, that's a divorceable thing. Like, that level of deviancy is so high. Or if someone is getting off to women being abused in some way, that's, again, there, there are levels of deviancy that can happen in pornography yeah. that are so debased. Well, just like, just like in your personal behavior with your spouse in general. Mm. There's a spectrum of behaviors that are wrong and right. Right. You know, meaning you're you could you could get angry with your spouse and not blow up like nuts, mm. you know, but you're still getting really you're still wrong. Right. And you, and you're still angry. Right. Uh your angry isn't to the place like I said where it's nuts and you've blown your lid and you're throwing stuff. Mm. But you're still angry and wrong, right? Which you, Jesus said is, is murder, right? And you're still <laughs> saying you're still yeah. saying you know it's like you can say wrong things to your wife in a calm way, yeah, and it's still sin, right? It's not as bad as someone who's screaming it, right, and throwing things, right? And we ha we know the difference, right? You know, right? It's like we understand like there's some things that we go, hey. That was wrong. And then there's other things that are like, I, I can't even, this cannot be tolerated. Yeah. Like, I, I cannot live anymore here. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, if someone pulls out a gun yeah. and says, hey, you know, I'm going to shoot your head off. Yeah. You know? Or and just fakes it. Right. Right? But they laugh and they mock and they're doing it, and it's a real gun. Yeah. I would imagine... Probably divorce. That's probably yeah. a divorce. Yeah, yeah probably ain't gonna go too well. But I didn't hurt her. Yeah, you'd be like, but it yeah. didn't have any bullets. Yeah, I told her there was no bullets in it. You know, yeah. why can't she take a joke? Yeah, you know, um, no, there's some things that are just there. I mean, everything's a spectrum. Yeah, when it comes to, you know, moral morality in the sense that, this, or else there's no what we call moral judgments. Right. You know, if there wasn't a spectrum, there wouldn't be something called moral judgments. Right. Because everything would just be boom, boom. Yeah. And you know, and it would, it's interesting to God. Obviously, when you read the Bible, God really has, in a sense, no moral judgments. He has just the moral law. Right. It's you know what I mean. Yeah. It's like to God, if you break one iota of the holiness of God, then you're out. Right. You know, you're out of the kingdom. Um, and it's not that God can't judge us through a moral judgment, mm. you know, on a spectrum. Right. Um, but God's ultimate holiness and his righteousness cannot tolerate sin at all. Right. So there's, in a sense, I guess when it comes to his holiness, there is no right. moral 
judgment. It's just moral law. Right. It's just the code of holiness. Right. And but in our humanity, right. which this is the neat thing about the Christian God, is God can enter into our humanity. Right. There is a moral judgment right. that's being made. And Jesus obviously is showing this. He's showing that, hey, you know, there's, you know, he's not saying put put someone to death by the law of Moses because they're thinking about a woman right. down the street. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. You know, he's not he's not saying just be murdering every you know, killing everybody. Yeah, capital, capital punishment. Because this dude like got mad at his wife and says that she was dumb once, you know, because that's murder. Right. And that's what that's what Jesus says. Right. Yeah. So, so I mean and uh, you know in the military we had this concept called escalation of force. Uh -huh. So, like, even though we had lethal force accessible to us, we obviously were carrying guns, there was rules of engagement. There was, there was ways that we had to utilize force, and it had to be proportionate to whatever the threat was, right? So if someone comes up to me Makes and I'm... Sense. Uh, yeah, I'm patrolling in Afghanistan, and someone comes up to me and they're like, you suck, you know? Pull out I can't, a tank. Yeah, I can't shoot that guy in the head, you, <laughs> you know? You can't get in your tank right? and <laughs> yeah. just throw in his Just massacre way. him, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> cops have to learn this, too, with... With the military, especially when I was deployed, because we were actually in a combat zone, the the escalation force is a little bit more f fluid. But for police, it's like very strict because they have to do everything they can preserve the liberty and the life of the citizenry of the place that they're patrolling. But regardless, what I tell couples is like most of the time they're never given an education in this kind of escalation of force. They never talk about the gradations of sin and failure. And so they really only know how to use divorce, essentially, as a tool. And what I tell people whenever there's like an unjustified shooting or killing by a police officer, nine times out of 10, when I look at the case, I'm like, that dude didn't know how to use escalation of force. You know, they were not taught or trained properly to know, like, I could have actually de-escalated the situation by using this level of force right. early, and then it wouldn't have gone to the point where it needed lethal force. Right. Not every child needs spanking. Right. Some, Absolutely. Some children need just a stern word. That's right. And sometimes, you know, like, you know, when my daughter does something wrong, sometimes just she'll know it, like, immediately. And I won't even have to say anything, you know? Just and look just, Yeah, you just look at her, and she'll, like immediate like if i tell her not to touch something and she she breaks it you know what i mean like i don't have to be like what you know like right. freak out on her because right. she's already like oh. you know she's already gonna well up with tears because she's got a very soft temperament and the same way in a marriage it's like you have to adjust your approach based on what your partner's doing and why and that's why this kind of conversation a lot of christians shrink back from it because they're like well it sounds like you're justifying porn. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, no, we're not justifying porn, but what we're saying is, is that there's gradations of wrong, and maybe this person's action not only is not the worst thing he could have done, but actually is in a lot of ways understandable. Not right, but understandable. Yeah. And therefore, we can approach it not as a, this is the most serious thing you could have done, and you violated the sanctity of your marriage, and we're seriously divorced is on the table right now, but instead of coming about it and saying, it's wrong, but it's understandable. How do we talk about this and move forward? You right. know, yeah. And it becomes a very, very different conversation. Yeah, and and the sex, you know, topics definitely pull a lot out in us on where we are at in our walk with Jesus. 
Mm-hmm. Um, whether we are truly humble in our walk with the Lord or if we're like the rich young ruler yeah. that tend to, you know, kind of, you know, uh, harden our heart and say, well, no, I really have done everything, right. you know, and, and the sex topics bring that up because when you bring up the topic, you know, people go, oh, no, I'm doing great. Oh, no, everything. Oh, no, I know. And, you know, and, and thing is, is it's not true. Yeah. It's like that's one area of our lives where, you know, a lot of us are afraid to talk about the sin that that so easily is before us. Right. You know, where we don't really love our neighbors, we love ourselves. Mm. Um, we are not uh, we're not finding pleasure in giving, but we're fi- finding pleasure in getting. Mm. Um, and and we see that even the most simplest teachings are let me say the most popular teachings of jesus we don't really fulfill in the marital bed right and and this this kind of sin is not um it knows it, it doesn't know any biases meaning it doesn't matter if you're black or white or or four feet tall or 20 feet tall it doesn't have it doesn't matter if you're male or female or anything hmm. it, this kind of sin besets us all right and it's very easy to spot uh, you know in this vulnerable action of sex hmm. and and most of us just don't want to be exposed and and this is why the porn subject is such a scary subject and because people feel good if they don't watch porn they go, hey, I'm doing things right sexually. Hmm. And and it's much, it feels good to know that someone else is watching porn. They kind of, inside, they almost are glad because it makes them feel better about their own sexual behavior, hmm. you know? And they kind of go, oh man, well, I'm, I'm doing good. Yeah. You know, that, you know, yeah, yeah, I'll pray for my brother, you know, kind of thing or, yeah. You know, but it, but in your heart, you're kind of like, you know, man, I'm glad I'm not there. Yeah. You know, I'm glad I'm, I don't do that. But my question to people is, are you sure? Hmm. Are you sure you're not there? Like, like if we really opened it up, you know, and talked about this sex thing, you know, would you not still be right there too, where you find yourself lacking in many things? And I mean, in the church, you hear that, you know, well, my wife serves me you know or you know you hear terms like that in when it's talking about sex Hmm. you know um but we've done conferences before we've we've talked to people uh, for a lot of years about this topic um uh in the church and there's a lot of people i mean i would say predominantly everybody that we've talked to that um that there's something wrong Hmm. in their sexual behaviors in their marriage yeah and um and they are left kind of just either people just put up with it and just kind of go hey this is the way it is like you talked about the woman just goes well this is i serve my husband and that's kind of it well and they don't talk about it um um, or it's something where there's just uh a kind of usurping of authority you know that happens in the marital bed and um and it's an abuse, but you know, people don't want to call each other out. It's such a sensitive topic, you know. So they just don't, they don't really go there. Hmm. But I, I think about that all the time. Like, you know, how many guys do like, you know, really 
really work on effectively, you know, giving pleasure to their spouse. Right. And, and is that something that's in their mind? Right. Like, hey, how do I do this? And these are embarrassing questions that a lot of pe- or a lot of people feel they're embarrassing, hmm. you know. But I mean, in this podcast, we don't shy away from much. But you know, that idea of like, hey, how, you know, what is it? Like, what is does she have? What's a G spot? Hmm. Is, is you know, what is the clitoris? How do I stimulate the clitoris? You know, there's some there's some books on those subjects intended for pleasure is one of them. We have another one. And like, you know, these are Christian books. Christian books, yeah. yep, intended for pleasure. Yeah, this isn't Cosmo. Or, no, know, no, so, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, but there, there have been some faithful believers yep. who have sought to write this material to educate yep. a lot of Christians, because a lot of Christians don't have these conversations right. and move forward, which is something that's really fascinating, because, you know, for a good portion of my life, like, I went to public school, and then I was in the military, so I wasn't around a lot of Christians when it came, especially when it came to this topic. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you're in the world, yeah, it's crass, but they do talk like this. You know, mm-hmm. like they're like when you're hanging around, it's not all like I think sometimes in the church we can categorize the conversations that happen with people who don't know God when they're talking about sex as making it completely demeaning and objectifying to the other gender. And that's not necessarily true. Like sometimes I'd be talking to some of my buddies. And yeah, like the the ways that they were talking about it would be crude, but they are actually talking positively about how do I get better at being with my girl or, you know, and again, you look at magazines out there for women, like Women's Health or Cosmo, and yeah, they're crude, yeah, they're crass, but there are articles that are attempting to educate people on how to better please the person that they're with. So they're wrong in the crassness of it, but they're right in the fact that at least they're talking about it, right? That there is an intentionality of sex is intended to be pleasurable. And that's something that a lot of Christians don't understand. They don't grab. Right. Yeah. And and Ed and Gay Wheat are the ones who wrote Intended for Pleasure. There's another one that we give out, too, that's more modern. Mm. Um, I forget the name of it right off the bat. I thought it had something with intimacy in it, but maybe I can break that out at some point in another podcast but Mm. yeah you know when you so it's like it's a failure to um you know we all want to think that we're doing great right and i understand that um you know uh you always want to think that you're on the right track and you know we say things like um you know our sanctification you know that we should be progressing Mm. and 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 so we, you know, you have to, in a sense, shut a blind eye to certain things so that you can feel um, less cognitive dissonance over the distance between you and the deity. Mm. Because there should be a cognitive dissonance. This is something that you see that's written, especially in people that were in the uh, 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 um, um, uh, Augustinian kind of monk background. I was thinking of Thomas uh, um, uh, Kempis back mm. in the 1300s. Um, and you read those kind of guys, you know, and, and there's there's something about them. It's really interesting. <laughs> and that is there's this incredible cognitive dissonance yeah. that's that's very apparent yeah. in the way they talk uh, about God. They, they have such a lofty view of God. Yeah. 
it's so big yeah. that the next paragraph is about how ruddy they are right right <laughs> you know yeah. and it's and it's it's like they automatically feel the cognitive dissonance yeah. and go man like how do how does this work yeah you know and they don't try to like in a sense um diminish the cognitive dissonance i right. think this is maybe where we're at in christianity over the last hundred years no, absolutely yeah that maybe we've tried to diminish this cognitive dissonance <laughs> Almost by either maybe two different errors, yeah. either either bringing down to God to our level, right. or bringing us up to the level of God. Right. So, and what I, we've done it in maybe those two ways, maybe more, but but those are the two I think main ways. Yeah. And and well, it's an interesting argument. Like, um, and I've talked about this a little bit on a reason for hope when it comes to the topic of beauty where asceticism crept into the church really early. And asceticism is the idea that by denying the pleasures of the body, I unite myself greater in greater quality to God because God is spirit. So in other words, the body is bad and the spirit is good. So the more I deny physical pleasure, the more holy I'm becoming. And uh, someone's pointed out that this mentality started creeping in really early actually because of the church's departure from its Jewish roots. Right, absolutely. You could see where this is more secular, maybe more... Yeah, um, like Greek, Greek phil philosophy. Philosophy, Aristotle, mm -hmm. people like that, who... people, All these people had thoughts on sexuality. Yeah. It just kind of seemed to... There's a thread that kind of goes through all of them. Absolutely. And the funny thing is, is uh, when you look at the Old Testament, one of the things that God did to keep people from thinking this way is there's so much ritual that is necessary for the body, right? You had to baptize yourself. You had to wash your hands. You had to eat certain things. Right. You had to go to the temple. Nocturnal like Go clean. It's like everything about the body, there was yeah. this idea that the body could be clean, yeah. and the body is necessary to worship God, right? So if I want to honor God, I can't just do it in my mind. I got to go to the temple. I got to actually, with my hands, sacrifice this animal. I have to, right? There's there's all these rituals that teach me that my body is actually a component of my glorification of God. But then when you get into the new covenant and the ritual all goes away, now the temptation and the excess that we get into is, oh, I could worship God only in my mind, right? My body has nothing to do with the worship of God. And actually, my body might hinder my glorification of God. So the idea that I can actually refine my sexuality to glorify God would have been a non-starter for most of the great Christian thinkers. And I'm reading this really funny book right now. It's called The Aesthetics of Thomas Aquinas. Mm. And he's going through how the medieval theologians thought about aesthetics or the study of beauty. And he's got these, they'll just make you laugh out loud. I should show you some of the quotes mm. where he's like, they're going at sex, but they're talking in like penthouse language, which makes it like hilarious where this one dude, he goes on for like two pages about how women should bind their breasts so that they don't jiggle in a way that's arousing. And the guy's like, just, he's laughing at it because he's like, this dude's clearly like, and the guy who's writing the book is a, is a Christian, but he's like, this guy is clearly like a repressed monk. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, he's like trying so hard not to, not to glorify the body, but at the same token, he's like, 
but the way the breasts move in this direction right. is arousing. And so you right. need to like, you know, have this type of brassiere and it's, yeah. it's well, pretty hilarious. Yeah. Every, every, every erection was wrong. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And which is unreal. Right? And so it's like, we've made some progress as a church, but that, that rot, that, that bacterial infection of asceticism is still kind of present in the church where yeah, very much I think even a lot of Christians at best they get to the level of like well God tolerates it you know it's not great but God tolerates it and then you get into people in my generation where like you said they're trying to balance it by going the licentious route where they're like God is into all kinds of stuff. Right, you know, God's like, transgender. Yeah, God's transgender, <laughs> and God is into kink and fetishism, yeah. and you're like, yeah. whoa, you know, you you went a little far there, you know. Yeah, where, and then you get into, like, the progressive Christian movement or something. <laughs> Absolutely, and I, that's why I love reading the book of Corinthians, because yeah. you see them, they're like that pendulum. Yeah. You know, where one chapter, it's like 1 Corinthians 7, and it's no sex, you right. know, like, not even in marriage. And then 1 Corinthians 6, it's like sex with everybody, you know, oh, going everybody? to the temple, there prostitute. Go. Okay, let's go. Yeah, let's do it, you know? Yeah. And then in one section, people are like screaming and hooping and hollering in the church. Yeah. And the next section, people are like just not worshiping God at all. It's like that that ping pong yeah, way and, of and, dealing with yeah, it. Yeah, and, and it's neat that the New Testament has that and shows that. Yeah. Uh, because maybe that is more of really a normal kind of style of the Christian life. Right. It, wrong. But yeah. it's it's one that we deal with, uh, and, and 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 because uh, you know we have the way like when we say like oh I'm doing good right like sometimes what we mean by that is just like I'm coping with my cognitive dissonance mm. in a way that is satisfying my mind in accordance to what I believe the correct morality is right that's what we're really saying so I've conceptualized God's law in such a way that I can live up to it. Right. In the same kind of pharisaical way where... Yeah, I feel like I'm doing it. Exactly. Where the, the intent of Hebrews 4, where he says the, the word of God is sharper, living and sharper than any two-edged sword, what he's saying is like, if you're handling the word of God correctly, it's going to cut you, right? <laughs> it's going to hurt, you know? Like, if you're handling the Word of God and it doesn't hurt you, you're not handling it correctly, yeah. right? If you're reading the Bible and you're like, yeah. If you read the Sermon on the Mount and you're like, right on, Jesus, I do that. You know, He's like, you're not handling the Word of Jesus correctly. You know, you need to allow it to pierce you a little and to say, ooh, you know, I, I don't do that. And I need grace from God. I need mercy. And I want to work on these things because I want to increase in my behavior that pleases the Lord. And it's kind of interesting when Paul felt like uh, the writer of the New Testament, most of it, when he, when he felt like, you know, he could say, follow me as I follow the Lord. Right. It's interesting that Paul, Paul's understanding of him following the Lord was, was twofold. And it was, sure, him doing stuff, but he understood it was God in him doing the work. Right. And, and therefore, he didn't look at things. He wasn't. He became humble in the sense of not asceticism, not beating himself up, right. thinking less of himself as a human. Right. But it was he lost himself in the work of Christ. Right. Christ's work was through him, and he lost himself. Right. He 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 lost all the 
thinking, you know, am I doing it? Oh yeah, now I'm feeling good, I'm doing it right. You know, all that stuff went away. Yeah. It, it became a natural work of Christ through him and in him and to him, um, you know, to, to others, obviously. Um, and, and this is, I think, when Christianity's probably working its best in any of us, is when we don't even know it. Right. It's just, it's it, it just Christ is doing a work in our, through, and through our lives. And it's that, like, um, that beautiful thing that actually removes us from the other problem with kind of the legalism is pride, right? It puffs us up and makes us feel like, man, look at what I'm doing, you know? And the, the way I always tend to look at it is like, is like with music, you know, and you're obviously a musician, so you probably see this as well, where it's like, I can tell when I'm watching a musician if they're in tune with self and they're self-absorbed when they're doing it versus when they're not, you know? So a musician who's just like enjoying their craft. Yeah. And it's like they're being carried away by the music. They realize that the beauty that they're producing is greater than themselves, you know? And they're enjoying it just as much as anybody else, you know? Right. So if I were to come up to the musician afterwards, be like, dude, that was great. They'd be like, yeah, it was, was you know, without a hint of pride or arrogance in that statement of just like, yeah, that is beautiful. You're right, man. And the Christian is the same way, right? If I'm really connecting with God and he's moving me, I'm just as amazed at what God is doing as anybody else. So like someone's like, man, that's really cool that you do that. You're like, wow. That is really cool. You know, yeah. you'd actually say it in a humble way. You'd actually say it in a way that you're recognizing that what God is doing is not really because of you. Yeah. It's in spite of you, right? He's moving something in your heart that you could have never lifted, right? Yeah. Yeah, and if you bring the law if you if you throw out the work of the spirit and you just bring the law into your daily measurement of where you're at, or what you know, and this is where we struggle, and the cognitive dissonance comes, is because you know under the law we're condemned. Right. You know under the law we find that we, and this is what the uh, Thomas uh, Kempis and these guys n- understood, that when you when you compare yourself to the deity, you fail miserably mm-hmm. in all areas, sex areas, every area. That's why when when the t- topic of sex comes up. We should just be very okay with admitting that, yeah, there's like, yeah, you know, maybe I do watch porn or maybe I have done this or maybe I'm tempted to do that or maybe I don't do this right or maybe I'm selfish here or maybe I haven't even sought to please my wife or, you know, maybe we can talk about that because we're no longer, we know we're no longer judged by the measurement of the standard of the law we've mm-hmm. been we've crossed over from judgment to life john mm-hmm. chapter 5 yeah so now we can we we understand that so we can now move in open ways yeah um in in honest ways um to deal with the cognitive dissonance but it seems like we move away from that uh like we can't it seems like that cognitive dissonance really bothers people so much that they really have to somehow continue to affirm Mm. that they are doing good right you know and doing the right thing and um and this is something that you know we can maybe talk about next next week a little more because it's a cool topic topic no and i think uh we'll probably talk about this more like you said next week or i think that's one of the things that you know pascal blaise pascal understood probably better than maybe anyone else of his time 
was that if I'm dealing with the workings of God, it would or should be beyond my understanding. And so he was able to recognize that a lot of the way I'm going to behave towards the Lord is going to sound contradictory, but it's really not. You know, so, you know, one of his most famous quotes is, our God is the only one that you could approach without shame, but also without arrogance, right? So he sees those seem contradictory. It's like, how can I approach one being and simultaneously that one being is ridding me of shame, which is on the low end of the spectrum of despair, and arrogance, which is on the high end of the spectrum of narcissism. It's like, how could one being and one act do both things simultaneously? It doesn't make any sense. Usually one act would do one or the other, right? It would make me more humble or it would make me more uh, exalted, Mm. but it couldn't do both. Right. But Pascal is realizing that when you come to God, you're coming to a being who does do both simultaneously beyond our comprehension or understanding. Mm -hmm. So in the same way, when you're talking about the cognitive dissonance, the reason why people are having that is because they're not able to accept both propositions, that you are sinful, you are failing God, but you're also accepted and Exalted. exalted, right? Let the rich man exalt in his humiliation, and let the poor man exalt in his, in his exaltation. Yeah. 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 So you have like the the that kind of dichotomy there that James is expressing that I can do both, right? I can come to God and be humbled and exalted at the same time, mm-hmm. right? But that only happens in God. Right. You God's come to the law and it's going to do one or the other, right? I come to the law and it's either going to shame me by making me realize I can never do it, or it's going to exalt Pop me by making me think I am doing it. I am doing it, right? But and it's and not going to do both. Right, and this is what you see in the Gospels, right? Right. People come to Jesus, and they either approach him on the basis of that pride, or they 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 uh, do it on the basis of shame. Right. And um, it's very, very cool. We can go and talk more about that, but we'll finish the podcast now. Yeah. Um, but good one, man. That was awesome. Absolutely. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.